0: Hey, Blaine from DTC Pod here. And today we've got two amazing AI tools for you guys to check out. So, AI is obviously eating the world. And these two by HubSpot, where you're really going to love. So, the first one's called Content Assistant. Basically, helps you create amazing content, which matters more today than ever. Everyone's creating content, so you've got to stand out. Um, with HubSpot's AI powered Content Assistant, you can brainstorm, create, and share content of Flash all inside a super easy to use CRM. So, you know, think things like, Brainstorming blog ideas, blog outlines, drafting copy on any topic from marketing trends to media kits, or writing value props for your landing pages, prospecting emails, and more. Uh, the second one is ChatSpot, which is basically a conversational bot that sits on top of your HubSpot CRM. So it's going to automate all the manual tasks inside of HubSpot, help you engage more customers, close more deals, and scale a little bit faster. Um, so. If you want to find out more about how to use AI to grow your business, check out hubspot.com artificial intelligence. As a D2C brand, you need real-time financial visibility to save money and make better decisions. Waiting for books from slow and expensive bookkeepers that don't get e-commerce is slowing you down. Trusted by hundreds of brands, Final Loop is a real-time accounting service built by D2C founders for D2C founders. Try Final Loop completely free, no credit card required. Just visit finalloop.com slash Pod and get 14 days free and a two-month P&L within 24 hours with all the e-com data and breakdowns you need to crush it. What's up, DTC Pod? Today we're joined by Jess honeychen who is the co-founder of the Shine Talent Group. So Jess, we're excited to have you today. I'll let you kick us off. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, your personal background, and what you guys are building at Shine.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So as you mentioned, I am one of the two co-founders of Shine Talent Group. So Shine is a talent management agency. We focus on all things uh, creator space. So we represent Instagrammers, TikTokers, and YouTubers. We've been doing it for, gosh, give or take a little over eight and a half years now. Um, so Emily, my business partner, and I started the company shortly after I relocated from Melbourne to Toronto about nine years ago. Um, and there was really no one doing talent management for social creators in Canada at the time. So started in Toronto, expanded to um, the U.S. with an office in L.A., and then last year we expanded to the U.K. with an office in London. So we're all over the place.
0: Wow. So t- tell me a little bit about um, before you got started with the group. I know you mentioned nine years ago and a lot has changed in the creator space since then. So why don't you just tell us about what some of the inspiration was to get started, maybe what it was like and what the responsibilities that you were taking on with your first clients and how you built this into the business it's become.
1: Yeah. So both Emily and I have backgrounds in PR. Um, so M came from large agency PR experience and I came from Australia doing PR in the entertainment space, um, predominantly television. So when I moved to Toronto, I was trying to figure out like what I was going to do personally thinking I would land in PR, took a few twists and turns along the way as you do, Um, but ended up meeting Emily and we started a PR agency together first, Um, but in, in an effort to kind of set ourselves apart and do something a little bit different from... The many, many other boutique PR agencies we thought we would kind of start this side avenue um, with Shine Talent. We were Shine Influencers at the time. We rebranded to Shine Talent Group a number of years ago. Um, so, so yeah, we kind of dove into that space, not really knowing what to expect. And I would say the first talent, like the first, you know, group of talent that we signed leaned into us with like such blind faith that I am still very very appreciative of because I think we were still kind of figuring it out but the industry was so so young then um so I feel like it kind of gave us the opportunity to really like figure it out together um whereas agencies starting now I think have a little um a trickier time doing that because you kind of have to come in really really knowing everything but essentially we we spoke to a lot of brands, a lot of agencies, and a lot of creators, and to each category just said, what problems are you having here? And we found that it was really consistent across the board that creators would say, I know that brands wanna work with me, but I like I, I don't know how to price it out. I don't know what my value is. I, don't, I, I feel really uncomfy asking for money. Um, and then the brands and agencies would say, we want to work with influencers, but we don't know how to get them to deliver our key messages in a way that feels good for us and for our clients. Um, and again, coming from that PR background, we understand storytelling and weaving in a story in a really natural way. Um, that's our space. Like we we really got that. So we figured we could come and kind of pop ourselves right in the middle and really service both sides and and genuinely look for wins for everyone and when we still really kind of operate by that methodology today that like there's you know there's there's ways to work in this industry where everyone comes out being a winner
0: so tell me a little bit about um some of those first creators you were working with and some of the first brand deals like you're saying when you're working with creators you're working with brands we know there's synergies between the two so what was kind of the glue that brought them together why don't you walk us through the first couple maybe deals that you guys did
1: gosh they were so baby my gosh I remember I remember the first deal that I was like we made it it was with Alyssa Garrison a Random Acts of Pastel I can't remember who the brand was it might have been Victoria's Secret but oh, I can't quite remember but I remember we did a brand deal it was $1,200 and we were like
2: we've done it we have
1: cracked the code we,
2: we can got- retire
1: we're done sell a company like we made it um so yeah I uh I, rem- I remember like where I was sitting when that deal came in I we were in like a friend's office that we were kind of sub renting from them and we were kind of like okay I- it was more really I guess that we we're like there's something here and and we can we can make this really big um and yeah as I said like those first few talent um Alyssa we don't work with directly anymore, but you know, is still certainly a friend of Shine. But uh Philippa Jackson, Diala Canelo, like they were amongst our first talent who are still are still with us today and have kind of, you know, again, put like a lot of loyalty and, and trust in Shine over the years. But yeah, the the first deals they were they were so small, like like a couple of hundred dollars here and there. Um so certainly, you know, we we work totally off a commission model so not a lot of money in it in those early days but uh things have absolutely changed
2: how how did that help shape sort of the vision of the creators that are the right fit for shine right so you you see a work in the beginning and you're like oh my god there's like you know millions of companies out there there's all these creators but I assume that there's a specific profile that you guys decided to define as who are the right brands that are the partners for Shine and then who are the right creators that are the partners for Shine. And I'm sure that also evolved over time. But I'm curious, you know, how, how that evolved over um, the timeline of Shine.
1: Yeah, it, it's still evolving. You're totally right. Um, and I, but I think what has remained consistent is that and again different in the early days in that you know we didn't need to be working with people who were already making a making a living doing this um but still what we look for now is people who have a really unique potential um people who are building these incredible communities of people and they just kind of have something special and again in those early days we like Sillipa is is a really good example of this, and uh, she she mentioned it to me a number of years after we signed her. But she was like, you know, when you guys signed me, like I'd never, I'd never done a brand deal, and I was like, what? Why did why did we sign you? um But she was like, I'd never done a brand deal, and I was like, I think we just saw something in her, and it's often before they really they really see it themselves, but. You kind of see something in the way that their audience interacts with them. There's something there um, really hard to quantify and really hard to kind of guide someone else to look for that. Um, but I feel like, uh, you know, our team from, from ve- the very, very beginning had the ability to spot like those really special people. Um, and then in terms of the brands and like the agency partners, We, my gosh, in the early days, we talked to anyone who would take a meeting with us. Um, I remember being like, you never know, maybe their brother's cousin's neighbor is going to open a restaurant and they want some, who knows? I was like, I will talk to anyone who will listen to me. Um, So we had a lot of conversations in the early days. And I think it wasn't so much like, who the brand was. I think there's a potential for all brands and influencer marketing. I really do. Um, But it was working with the brands who really like understood and that it's still what we do today because I think there's always an education factor, but what we're educating on evolves and changes every year. Um, In those early days, especially every single person, every single person we spoke to said, how do I measure ROI? Every person. I don't think we've been asked that in years. Like, no one talks about that anymore at all. Um, so now brands are really, you know, we love working with brands now who understand that the talent or the influencer needs to have like a lot of creative freedom and that they know their audience, they know what's going to resonate with them, they know what will, you know, move the needle from a sales perspective. So I think brands that are willing to put a lot of trust in- trust into the hands of the influencer... Um, they I will certainly say are our favorite to work with these
2: days. Yeah, it's um, it's funny because in those days when people were asking about the ROI, it's like it was getting bucketed into the affiliate space. Um, when it's not really, it just adds so much brand value. It just can't be looked at that way. Um, and creators put a, like you said, they put a lot of creative time and energy into generating an asset. Um, that is going to be distributed across multiple platforms it's not just like a link placement on an existing SEO article it's net new effort um, for the brand that has to be thought out Um, I'm curious you mentioned you were willing to talk to any brand so you had a lot of drive um, and you know were you were you just like not willing to go back to the agency world or something like what what pushed you to say, we're gonna make this work? I'll talk to anyone because their cousin might know someone. Um, there's no way I want to work for an agency, or was it passion about the space or and what you were doing?
1: Yeah, I think at a at some point we became unemployable. So I'm like, we've gotta make this work. Um but yeah, I think you know what, when we started Shine PR, which was kind of the first um the first thing that emily and i did together it like it was a struggle and i remember sitting down in a restaurant again i like remember it so clearly like where we're sitting how we're sitting and we're like this isn't going super well uh let's set a date that we would call this and like it'll be done on that date if xyz hasn't changed um and we like literally put it in our calendars and said like I don't know, final day or call it day or something like that. And we, we like physically put it in there and we were like very prepared to do that. And I remember having a conversation with a really good um, friend of ours who owned a business at the time. And she was stressed about money as like, I don't think there's a startup that, that hasn't been stressed about money. And we were having lunch with this friend one day and she called me afterwards and she said, can't. Can I like tell you, are you open to hearing some feedback? And we have so much respect for, her. Leslie is her name, so much respect for her. She'd done really cool things. And I was like, yeah, of course. And she was like, you need to stop thinking about money. Like cut it out of your mindset. Like you're thinking about money in a negative way. You need to like just immediately stop it. And I was like, okay, Leslie, I will. And so we would. I, I called Emily afterwards and I was like, This is what Leslie said. We have to listen to Leslie. And we stopped and like the next day we were meeting like our lawyer for lunch. We were like chasing money from a client that, you know, disaster situation. And we go for lunch with our lawyer. And he like, he was like, I collected that payment for you, gave us like a big like at the time it was like a 20000 dollars check. And we're like, ah, Leslie. She. And we're like, oh my God. We like, we really had a moment where we're like, we have to totally change our mindset. On money and the finance of this business and just like know it's going to come Um, and we really committed to that and it almost overnight changed things it was like pretty like now thinking back on it I'm like wow that was that was wild
0: yeah I think that's a really it's a really hard thing to think about for a lot of entrepreneurs because you need to obviously monetize but there's certain projects it's counterintuitive it's a lot it's it's very it's very counterintuitive but especially in the creative sort of space like there's almost this threshold where when you finally hit it and you've done all these things before that like weren't monetizable but all of a sudden you've captured like magic or lightning in a bottle and then now everyone wants it so um I I feel like that's kind of what you got to. That's the moment that you guys kind of reached.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, a lot of our talent have had that same experience, especially talent who have been around for like a long time. Like you're kind of OG bloggers and things like that. I remember, uh, you know, one of our talents, Sarah, the birds papaya, she talks about this regularly, um, where she's like, yeah, I guess I became an overnight success after 10 years. Like, but you know, she was like, I did this for 10 years. Like, I did this for 10 years and didn't make a dollar. Like, and she wasn't pursuing it as a career at the time, certainly is now, but it's, uh, I I agree, money is a, a really tricky thing when you're in that, you know, super scrappy startup mode when like, I think it's extremely important for founders to understand financially, like what is going on in the business, but also to not be too, Tied to like every dollar that's coming in, because I feel like there's there's a toxicity that like evolves around that too. Um, But I think a lot of people really struggle to find that balance. I know we did, and 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 I was, you know, will forever be thankful for that hard truth that Leslie uh, gave us that day.
0: And and I think there there is some nuance there because I know for like a lot of founders who are starting their own brands, right? They're like, oh my God, do I quit my job now? Do I jump into it full time? Is now the time? I think there's a way to kind of do both and understand when there's certain projects that can like kind of grow and take a life of their own and get the attention they need, whether it's a side hustle or whatever, before you go full time. like I wouldn't encourage you going full time on like a D2C brand if you're just starting a brand, if you know you're six months out from being able to ship your first product like you know, it, it, it's it's a little bit different. So you want to kind of balance the two in, in something like your instance, which is a more creative pursuit. You've got network effects, you've got brand effects, like it's a little bit different. So um, I do think there is, there is nuance. And, and and on one side, like my like SaaS entrepreneur brain is saying like test, iterate, like get everything out. The, um, you know, make sure people are willing to pay for it before you build the next thing. But on the other side, on the creative side, um, it, there is a little of alchemy there. Ramon, did you have something that you wanted to say?
2: Yeah, no, I think um you touched on it where you said the network effects and in this industry, like these things compound and the momentum shifts from being a push to being a pull. And I'm sure you guys experienced that, which you were chasing down every creator. I'm sure the momentum shifted where now you guys attract creatives and I'm sure, you know, you're always going to be chasing the top talent but um, it, it becomes a pull instead of a push and I would love to hear from you just to give the audience context of exactly what it is that you help um, a talent with um, if we you can give us an example and then some examples of like your marquee um, talent
1: for sure so I uh, we typically kind of start to have the conversation with talent when they're reaching a point where you know they might still be working full time like some of them have still had 9 to 5s and they're like i've got a lot going on here i'm i'm you know bringing in a lot of revenue here i think i need support and we kind of usually say like when that tipping point happens when you feel like it's too much to handle on your own um that's when it's time to look very seriously at management um in terms of our service offering we come in and essentially like we act as an extension of the of their team um and we take over all of the all of the emails all of the negotiations all of the contracting all of the invoicing um and what I say to talent all the time is you know I know you didn't get into being let's say a beauty creator to redline contracts like if there's one thing I'm sure of it it is that like you got into it because you love giving people beauty tips and that's what you do and that's what you're so good at like That's your special skill and your audience responds so well to that. Instead of you doing all of this stuff, which now is probably taking up 50% of your time realistically, we'll take that part. You can reinvest that time into creating more content, creating better content, better engaging with your audience, building that community. Because all that does is just, again, it compounds your engagement rate. It compounds your numbers. Um, and you're able to kind of double down on all of the stuff that you do so well outside of, you know, the contracting and the negotiations. And then we have people on our team who thrive negotiating and love doing that. Um, and that's our special skill. So kind of when they marry together, I feel like that's a, that's a really happy situation. But you're, you're right, the, the push-pull of it all. Um, we, of course, still go after talent who we love. Um, and we still are looking for those kind of like about to pop off emerging talent um, that, you know, gets us really, really excited. And then we have seemingly a never ending list of talent who are also saying, I want to be represented. I'm looking for growth strategy. I need support with my collaborations and, and all that kind of
0: stuff. Just the next question that I have um, when you're starting a marketplace esque like business like the one you guys are doing is, One component that's tricky is like every creator is different. They have different niches that they focus on. They have different requirements, different sort of brands want to work with them on the brand side. And I know even just like looking on your site, it's not like you guys just do one thing. You're not just focused in terms of one thing. So in the beginning, and even as the business started to mature, how did you, how did you maintain that flexibility to say, we're going to be able to have a team that like can help you out, but like, we'll be able to cover and take responsibility for a broad, you know, type types of creators as well as broad type of requests from either brands or talent or collaboration opportunities
1: yeah well the broadness of the creators i think that really comes down to our team um and they have a lot of autonomy over who they want to represent so if one of our talent managers is really into like health and wellness chances are they're probably going to represent those type of talent um or there's like you know we have some people in our team who represent all parents and like they don't have any kids themselves, but they're like, I love this category. I really thrive here. Um, so the team having that ability to like cast the talent who they are really excited about, I feel like that gives us some really great diversity of talent because our team has different interests, naturally, right? Um, and I, I still would say they all fit loosely under the banner that is lifestyle. Um, but certainly under that, you know, there's food, there's fashion, there's fitness, there's body confidence, self-love, mental health, family, travel, all the things. So I feel like because of the team, that's kind of how you get that really nice mix of talent. Um, and then the clients, like, it again, it's a mixed bag of like they come for the talent. So because we have, you know, a wide range of talent, we're getting a wide range uh, of clients. Um, and then we're constantly reaching out to clients as well saying like, you know, what are you doing in this space? How can we support you? Um, what do you need? And, and you know, th- this industry, as we've said many times already, it's evolving so fast that it's really challenging to say like, we just do this because like you like, will that exist next week? Like I, I look back at even like TikTok. And if I looked at our roster this time, two years ago, like I don't think we had any primarily TikTok talent on our roster at all. Um, and now at least 50% of our talent, TikTok is their primary platform. So like that's two years, like that's such a short amount of time in like the life of any business. Um, but like that has been just a wild change for us. So, yeah.
2: I'm curious, do you guys work with streamers? Like I know there's, um, you know, Streamers themselves. There's so much going on with the platforms switching around, people getting banned without notice, left and right. They're looking to diversify income. Um, is that an industry you guys work with? It's
1: not one that we've really touched. We don't kind of get into like we. I know there are agencies that are like specifically focused on like gaming and streaming and things like that. It's not been our area of focus. And again, it's probably the team. If we hired a new team member and they said. I'm super into gaming and I know a ton of talent in this space, we'd be like, give it a whirl. Um, But it, it hasn't been a, a space that we've really, uh, really dug into. I feel like lifestyle is is our category and we're a super company.
0: So let's talk a little bit about lifestyle, right? Um, you know, Obviously, our pod, DTC pod, we've got all the brands, they're constantly working with different creators in all sorts of cap- capacities, right? Looking for different Um, you know, you might look for an influencer who can be like one of your main spokespersons. You might look for just quicker UGC. You may just look for some gifting opportunities. So why don't you walk me through from your vantage side of the business, um, when brands are working with you? A, what are the types of brands that you guys look to work with? B, what do the deals tend to look like that um, you know, end up working out for your creators? And I guess the last question, just to piggyback off that, it's basically related is. Like, what do some of the successful, you know, collaborations that you've overseen look like?
1: Yeah, so we, I would say, you know, any brand that's in the consumer space that you could name, we've probably worked with them. We've worked with thousands and thousands of brands um, over the, you know, eight and a bit years that we've been um, in business. And I, I really think there's a way for for any kind of, a, any consumer products. Um, to work in influencer relations so we've done some some really cool things over over the years I feel like one uh, a f- fun one I think to bring up that's a little outside of the norm because I feel like you know how the typical kind of collaboration works so uh, one of our talent Briannie, she's a Toronto-based or a Canada-based uh, artist and she does these incredible, sculptures that really kind of lend themselves well to like social activations um she's doing a new uh install now for boots and hearts like a country music festival up in uh up in Canada um but last year she made these like I know I'm gonna get this wrong but let's say 10 feet is gonna be my guesstimate these 10 feet tall pink cowboy boots that like literally every person that went to Boots and Hearts had a photo in front of these boots. Um, so I feel like things like that, like I love kind of exploring those types of opportunities, which are really unique and different and, and have a very different kind of cut through for the brand. Um, so we're seeing a lot of that kind of thing, especially with Brini because she's just, she's incredible um, and the things that she creates are like out of this world. Um mean, I'm like, I know you had three questions and they were all in a row, and now I've forgotten what the last one
0: was. Sorry, the, no, I guess just to to piggyback off of that, it's like, what do um, you know what does a successful campaign look like? Because sometimes brands might be like, oh, we're looking for a creator. the creator does it, and then the brand isn't happy. the creator's happy or other times the brand might be happy. the creator isn't happy. So if you could just also talk about some collaborations that you've overseen where, um, you know, cause I know a lot of the times when you're working with a big talent, like the stakes are high, right? Like you're trying to make sure it's the right person that you want to work with and you're trying to, but like you were saying before, it's like, you don't quite know the ROI, you know, it's going to be impactful, but so I'd love if you could just kind of talk through some collaborations that you've seen where they've been successful on both sides, where maybe in the beginning it was like not as clear, but ultimately the result came out like really successful.
1: Yeah. And I think that happens a lot when when someone's on, unhappy on either side. And I, as I mentioned in the beginning, like we truly are looking for a win to everyone where, you know, often we could fall back on the contract and say, like, well, there were no no reshoots in the contract. I'm like, well, they just kind of have a pissy client at the end of the day. The talent knows they're unhappy. I'm like, let's figure out a way that like we can get this piece of content to a place where everyone is excited about it and everyone's thrilled with it. Um, So I think that when someone's unhappy on either side, it it purely comes down to education. Um, If there's a piece of content that goes live and the brand says, you know, we didn't get X number of sales and that's what success looked like to us, you know, there's a lot of conversations that our team will have with them at that point where we can kind of talk about like, well, was this the first time you've worked with them? Like maybe, you know, maybe we need a few, a few goes at this or maybe... You know, that was just like a really nice introductory for the brand introduction to the brand for the for this audience. And maybe, you know, we can kind of go in this direction or that direction. Um, But I think as a general rule, what works instead of going to like a massive, like large scale campaign um, is to just like test the waters with a little kind of one off first, see how the audience responds to it. What's their commentary around it? Is there any, um, you know, what are the link click-throughs? Let's look at, like, all of the analytics that are involved um, before we kind of move on to something much bigger. Um, I'll use the Burt's of Pire again as as an example because I have something in mind that she just did, but um, she's worked with NYX, which is um, a Canadian-based underwear brand for years, years and years and it started as a very very authentic love for the brand. she posted about the product before she was getting paid for it and she was just kind of exploring it and and creating some fun content and and ended up you know now has a, a multi uh, relationship with them where she's creating products for them and collaboration with them and as part of like her own kind of brand within the brand and all of that type of thing so I feel like that's where we see so much success. Again, it's when the brand is just really, really willing to trust the talent. Like I, I think that would like for any brand, that has to be my number one tip every single time because the the influencer knows their audience. Like they know them. They are talking to them and with them every single day. Like if you go to an influencer's uh, you know, page, you see like you know, their story sides are so little because they do so many every day, right? Um, So I think that like that's, it's got to just be the most important thing that there has to be the trust there.
2: I love that of like, you know, doing the test first and just showing and then, you know, putting the bait and then getting them um, super interested. And then you end up even in a bigger contract than, than you originally anticipated. I'm curious, could it be a red flag if like a brand doesn't is not open to like testing or doing any sort of test to where you know that hey um it seems like it's a really good deal that they want to go big in the beginning but then at the other side it could just be a painful revisiting agreement type of stuff or like what are some you know what are some red flags from like a brand for creators that you know what shouldn't you not do or ask for as a brand, I guess is a better way to frame that question. Yeah.
1: No, for sure. I, I don't think that it's a red flag if a brand wants to go big at the beginning um, because whilst they might not have tested with this specific product, their audience might have been like really well primed for a piece of content. So if, I'll use the beauty industry again, if a talent has you know been saying over time like, Oh my gosh my makeup bag is stealthy like what a mess there's always products built in there there's this there's that whatever like they've been kind of repeating a pain point point. and if there's you know a startup brand that are creating like the world's best makeup bag for example they might be like you know what whilst you haven't used our product before your audience is so primed to receive this kind of product that like let's go all in um, and and I think that there's absolutely space to do that, and that's where I'd say like it would be a red flag if a brand doesn't want to like like have a have some communication around that. Um, huge red flag if a brand is not willing. And you know like I can of course only speak for our talent, and our talent just usually say a straight up no to this. But if it is a brand in the beauty or skincare space that they won't give talent the time to test. A product like most of our um, skin and beauty talent will say like I will not promote a product unless I can test it for at least six weeks Um, because they want to like they want to know if it works like does this do what it says it's gonna do Um, I this is rare but I think it's been green flag if a brand is willing to have the talent say something negative about the product I as I said It's a rarity. However, I love it when a brand's like, and of course it has to be like coupled with positives, but if they're willing to say like, I like this product, like I don't like the scent of it, but what it does for my skin is a game changer. Like if, you know what I mean? If they're willing to say like, but if you do really like vanilla, then like you will love this product. I'm just like not a vanilla girl. But like this product is like hands down the best whatever I've ever put on my face. So I feel like when a brand is willing to like let the talent say that, I feel like it just their audience knows they're not lying, you know? So I feel like there's like there's a different level of authenticity that comes with that and it's scary for brands. So like I really get that it's it's hard, but I feel like that's like the biggest win when
0: We are really excited to announce that DTC Pod is officially part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network is the audio destination for business professionals. And we're really excited about being part of the network because we're going to be able to keep growing the show, bringing you guys amazing guests, and obviously helping you guys learn from the best founders, marketers, and builders of the most successful consumer brands. So anyway, keep listening to DTC Pod and more shows like us on the HubSpot Podcast Network at HubSpot.com slash podcast network. I think one thing that you just touched upon, even in your example before, like it kind of comes back to the idea of like authenticity with creators, right? Two things, authenticity and also what you had mentioned about um, making sure that the audience is the right audience and they're kind of primed with the problem. I think those are two really important things that a lot of brands might overlook even when looking to work with a creator, right? So one on the authenticity part and Ramon, I know this is something That you've seen and we've seen you work a lot with creators as well. It's like there's a difference when a creator already knows and talks about your brand and like authentically likes it and is creating content versus you trying to give them a script and then they're like, oh, well, let me figure this out and then I'll talk about it. So... Uh, you know, brands, especially that have grown a little bit, might be better off even looking to partner with creators who are already talking about them rather than saying, oh, this person already talked about me. Let me go find a new creator. They might actually want to double down on that relationship and enable it as opposed to just being like, oh, that person already talked to me. I'm going to go pay someone else. Um, So that's one point. And then what you said about like priming the audience for the problem, I think that's so hard to like measure and really quantify. But like, if you as an agency know, um, like, or you as a creator know, and you're like, my audience is like really ready for this, I've been talking about this, this fits in organically, authentically with what I'm talking about, the conversion you're going to see in Um, that brand partnership is going to be a whole lot higher than if it's just a random like paid sponsorship that doesn't contextually make sense
1: absolutely i think rewarding the brand loyalty of your existing customer base is huge um and, and you know we've seen a lot of a lot of brands have a ton of success um with that with like their audience becoming like pseudo ambassadors for the product like that that works really well like people love to be rewarded for kind of promoting the products that they love to use um so i i think that's uh that's huge for sure
2: you know and like even even with creators that might n- have not tried the product before like there are guardrails for you to make this on authentic um you know sort of testimonial or review or whatever you want to call it or promotion um they don't have to necessarily be a customer in order for it to be authentic right and i feel like the word authentic gets thrown around so much in like the creator space um you know we want it to be authentic etc um and so you know the customer base is great but at the same time um not every customer is a creative and so it can work now and then but you're going to exhaust the pool that you are fishing from um the pond that you're fishing from and then uh, you're going to sort of, um, you know, be digging through all those customers to see who's a creator. You're going to realize it's not a scalable um, system. And some of those guardrails, I'm, I'm curious to hear more, but I love the beauty one where, hey, you have to see results. You know, the company we had, we focus on physical goods and products that the creators could actually use and try because, you know, we didn't want to do a campaign with a university or like an insurance company that, the creator themselves, um, have not tried the product. Um, and so I'm curious with the beauty one, how do you, let's talk about timelines in this industry. How do you, how do you work around timelines, um, to, you know, it's sort of orchestrating everything to get it delivered on time and creators are people. And so you don't always have hundred percent control of what they do and when they do it. So, um, it I know it's like one of the bigger things in 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 this industry is is the factor of timeline. So how do you guys work with timelines?
1: Uh, it is a pain point for sure. And to be fair, it happens on both sides. The brands do it too. It's not just the creators. Um, so so we we ex- certainly experience it from all angles, and we're kind of in the middle with like talent submitting content late and then the brand being late with approvals and we're like, come on let's move it along um it it, it is a challenge and you're right it's all people doing this and people who have you know a lot on their plates and people who are subject to internet trolls all day every day so like there's there's challenges that can be really unforeseen that come up with that so for us like the you know the best thing that we can do is keep our talent as organized as possible like sending a little weekly email like remember you've got like this due on Monday this due on Tuesday like how are we tracking with this one it's due next week like can we get a jump on it um I feel like you know there might be some little buffer times worked in from the management side of things to just you know if you know someone's going to be late if they're a repeat offender um those buffer times are likely kind of factored into the contract on our end um but yeah it 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 happens and I think honestly like the best thing that you can do is go to a brand and say look I'm really sorry it's coming I just think like it's a situation where like honesty is the best policy there and just communication above anything I think that if I could speak to the brand side of it would be the biggest pet peeve when they're like this content was due today it's after five where you at and they're like, we cannot get in touch with anyone. And then they start to like absolutely spiral. So I feel like that for whether it's creators directly, if they're self-managed, um, knowing to like, even though it sucks and is kind of scary to like email someone and say, I don't have it, that that's better than not saying anything at all. Um, I think that's like a very, very important uh, tip.
2: <laughs> yeah, along those lines, as we get towards the end here, I wanted to get a sense of, you know, why should brands consider an agency? Um, a lot of brands say, oh, well, yeah, I, f- I found the creators on Instagram and TikTok, so I could just do this myself. Um, why? Why should I brand? Why should a brand work with um, Shine, for example, instead of just going at it alone?
1: I think we kind of, we semi-touched on this before without saying it specifically, but when uh, when there's a brand who has a product that is solving a problem, which most products are, are aiming to do, right? So for that brand to go out and find people who are experiencing that problem, very challenging, um, unless they're just like active followers of them and they happen to see it. Whereas for us, we represent, say, 200 talent, give or take. We know those talents very intimately and you know perhaps we know things that aren't posted yet on socials and and whatnot so for a brand coming to us and saying hey has anyone on your um on your team and we've had the most odd requests oh my gosh like does anyone on your team have diabetes and also like soccer we're like "I I don't know like we can find out for you but like you know what I mean? Like, so it's like, you just get some like very like weird and wacky requests that we're like, I, I don't know if anyone has, has had that problem. Um, so I feel like for us, we're able to like go out to like, they can come to us and we can speak to 200 talent on their behalf, rather than them individually going out to 200 talent and trying to like find someone who's experiencing that problem. Um, so I feel like that's, you know, that's a huge benefit of working through an agency for sure. And then also like just you have someone in there keeping things on track for you who is going to communicate um, who's not going to be scared if they're late to like say something, um, and honestly all of the invoicing like if if it's let's say it's a brand and they're working with thirty talent like sending like receiving 30 individual invoices from talent having 30 individual people follow up harass berate them to like get that payment which they should they're owed the money um rather than just like having that like really streamlined through one place like that is a challenge for sure um but really i i think it comes down to like the talent agency they know their talent they know them really well like that is our job Um, it's one of the biggest parts of our job to like know what is going on in the lives of our talent so we're able to put forward really really strategic um, solutions because we just know what's going on in their lives.
0: Jess the last two questions I have for you because I think you were kind of hinting at so I definitely want to cover that before we jump off but also um, one last question on the brand side of things I'm curious because there's so many different style of engagements with creators right you've got your one-off things, your ongoing sponsorships, your, you know, paid for post, paid for story, like all, there's so many different ways. And obviously this isn't like a blanketed uh, question because I know there's nuance uh, to this, to the brand, to the creators, to their audience as well. But like, are there any sort of like really successful styles of collaborations that you've been seeing lately that um, really excite you, whether it's like brands collaborating on like you know, let's do a three part series TikTok or a, a three part series Instagram, or let's, you know, give you creative freedom to like weave in for the next three months and you're gonna be talking about our product, or let's do a one year deal. Like, what are the, I guess, formats of collaborations that you've seen between brands and creators recently that like are really exciting for you that you've, that brands have seen a lot of success from that they might wanna be looking at or thinking about?
1: Yeah, I think long term always. Like it, it's always going to beat out the one-off campaigns. Though that said, for brands, um, especially in the D2C space, I feel like you want to know that it's going to work, right? So instead of jumping in, like I, I always um, have the recommendation of like if you want to work with one person for like the rest of the year, for example, let's work with 10 people. Let's have them all create one post. Let's just see kind of what works see what style of content their audiences uh, really resonate with um, and then let's pick like one or two to continue on um, beyond that. Um, I've always liked that strategy I think it works I think you get like a really nice cross-section of of, of audiences and whatnot um, so I like that I love brands bringing in an influencer in-house to create a special product <clears throat> sorry product or service offering Um, that, again, really, really speaks to, like, their audiences, problems that they see them experiencing on a day-to-day level. Um, We've had tons of talent do that. Alicia McArville did something really fun recently uh, with Siri Nutrition. She created, like, a a hydration lemonade kind of thing. Um, And I think I come from a traditional media background, so I am still a big believer in traditional media. Um, I, I really enjoy that space. And I think that talent still love to see themselves in those more traditional spaces. Um, Lexi, uh, Alexa J, one of our talent um, based out in LA, she was just on a billboard for uh, a beverage company. And like the amount of photos that she has posted or like that have been posted of her in front of the billboard and things like that, I feel like that kind of stuff is so cool. Like they don't, like they see themselves on like a phone always. So like to see themselves like out in the wild, um, you know, I feel like that has a really different kind of impact and brands who do that see a ton, a ton of social coverage from it because that like Lexi, for example, like her audience is out and about. They're taking photos of it and be like, oh my gosh, I saw you on a billboard. And like, they're excited for her. So like, the brand, um, the value that the brand gets from that, I feel like just gets like completely amplified because you have, you know, potentially hundreds of thousands of people being excited for this person being on a billboard.
2: And those are probably the the followers that were there when, you know, long time ago, before she was she was
0: big and so they're just there celebrating with her.
1: Yeah. It's, I, I love seeing that. I think it's really
0: cool. I love that um, as a strategy too, especially for an emerging brand. Um, I said it was gonna be the last question, but I, you your your answer gave me what one, one more. Um, so for you mentioned seeing a lot of success where like an influencer or creator comes in, collaborates with a brand on a specific product line or something like that. Um, what does a typical deal like that look like? Again, it's gonna vary on who the creator is, the audience side, what the brand is. But like generally speaking, what do those deals uh, sort of look like where a brand can come in, offer a creator a way to like launch a line with them? It's obviously going to be a mutually beneficial thing, but the creator is putting their name on it. So what does a deal like that typically look like?
1: Yeah, always a rev share model. Um, Typically, and you said it right, like it changes every time. Typically, there's an upfront payment to kind of go through the creative design process to like create this product all the testing and trialing, you guys know that, that process well. Um, But so there's an upfront fee to kind of cover off that time. Um, And then it's typically a rev share model. And we've seen it, you know, anything from 20 to 40, 50% super depends on the products, what their margins are. Absolutely. Um, But I feel like then like everyone wins, right? Like it's in the best interest of the talent to sell that product out um, to like refresh it, renew more lines coming up, um, you know, that's great for them and it's really good for the brand too. So I uh, I I love that. I feel like we're seeing more and more of that. Um, one of our talents, Sarah Wolock, she just created like a like beautiful – she's a makeup creator, but she created like her perfect shade of blush with a company and it's like it's sold out. They're ordering more units because they like can't keep them in stock because naturally – she posts about it all the time because it's her favorite shade of lush um, and she got to create it so there's some like real excitement in
0: that i love that um and then the last question which i i did want to ask you which we were kind of talking about earlier is you spent a lot of time in the space you've been building and as someone who's building and sees problems sometimes you want to kind of scratch your own itch and build something so um i know you were hinting at it before but why don't you tell us about um, the things that you guys have in the works uh, from a software side.
1: Yeah, we got all kinds of problems to solve. Um, but I think you know the, the biggest one for sure is that this industry really has, for us, I'll, again, I'll speak just to Shine, but I know a lot of other agencies experience this. We really have existed off a plethora of Google Sheets for like the longest time um, because they just didn't, like there wasn't really like a CRM tool or a project management tool that was like, for this industry and it's really it's unique it's a unique industry and it's really new so that um that software didn't exist so we've been building uh we've been building our own which has been a really fun and tedious and exhausting and stressful and fun process um I remember someone said to me when we said we were going to launch this uh this SaaS program they were like know that it will take double the time and double the budget and I was like no way like we got this. We know what we're doing. It's gonna be so easy. And my gosh, how it's taken five times the budget and five times the time. I've been like really humbled with that one. But uh, it's called a thread, and it's uh, it's really a uh, it's talent management uh, or project management tool. Sorry for uh, talent managers. Um, manages like the whole lifecycle of the campaign. It manages the invoicing. It manages talent calendars so they know what's going on and they can keep themselves on track and all the pitches that we send out and all the billings and all the fun stuff so we're very excited to launch it hopefully in a couple of months it should be ready to go i hope i'm praying that it's ready um but uh, but yeah it's been really fun honestly to like i feel like shine you know having been around eight years i still like think of us in startup mode like so fondly um but it's been fun to like start a new product like from the very beginning. Um and something really different for us. Like we haven't we haven't done something in the tech space like that before. Um so yeah, I'm I'm really really excited to kind of share it hopefully really soon with the with our uh, talent management world and yeah, it's uh, it's been a fun one. It's been an experience, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, you know, we're, we're excited to see it come out. I'm sure Ramon will be excited to uh, take a look at it. He knows the space really well. Um, and then as we wrap up here, Jess, uh, where can our audience, like where can we connect with you? Where can we find out more uh, about Shine? Are you guys on, are you personally on social? Are you on LinkedIn, Twitter? Like where can we find you?
1: Yeah, we're, we're in all the places. So for Shine, uh, you can find Shine on Instagram and TikTok and all the other places, but primarily there um under shine talent group and for me i'm jess hannishan on instagram and tiktok though i use it sparingly i uh i feel like it's always like like do as i do as i say not as i do kind of vibe i'm like i'm the worst person for like consistent content and things like that but really great at guiding other people in how to do it so you won't find anything terribly exciting on my pages but uh shine shine is a good fault
0: Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the pod today. My pleasure. Thank you, Jess. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of DTC Pod. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love your support. A rating and review would go a long way as we continue to host the best builders in DTC and beyond. Follow and subscribe to the show, and make sure to check out our show notes, where you can find our socials and weekly newsletter. Visit us on DTCpod.com to join our founder community and access resources from every episode. We'll see you on the next pod.